frankly, I think the thing that's getting me most excited is that a lot of these high impact businesses are scaling and demonstrating that they are the ones that are valued most by investors, by customers, et cetera. But the biggest fintech digital bank in the world is in Brazil. The biggest edtech company in the world came from India. These are really targeting the mass market and they are becoming the global winners in, in some of these spaces. And so I think that's one of the reasons that the space is going to continue growing is because it's also demonstrating you can do both. You can build highly impactful businesses that also become really great businesses. Welcome to Sustainability Leaders. I'm Michael Torrance, Chief Sustainability Officer with BMO Financial Group. On this show, we will talk with leading sustainability practitioners from the corporate, investor, academic, and NGO communities to explore how this rapidly evolving field of sustainability is impacting global investment, business practices, and our world. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the BMO Sustainability Leaders podcast series. This is Marianne Suli from the BMO Impact Investment Fund. I have a great panel for you today. We'll be talking about impact investing and how it has evolved over the last few years. And to do so, we're spanning time zones from London to San Francisco. Our speakers today are Alex Lazaro. Alex is a partner at the global venture capital firm Cathay Innovation, adjunct professor with Middlebury Institute for International Studies, and the author of Out Innovate, How Global Entrepreneurs from Delhi to Detroit Are Rewriting the Rules of Silicon Valley. David Loesch is a founder of Atlas Impact Partners, a long short fund dedicated to impact investing, focusing on going long companies who solve problems and shorting companies which do harm. And Tanya Carnegie. Tanya is the global lead for private equity and asset management at KPMG Impact. KPMG Impact brings together professionals and subject matter experts from KPMG to support the delivery of the UN SDGs. So let's get this conversation started. David and Alex, how do you approach impact investing? David, what's an impact investment hedge fund and what are the implications of investing in public markets? Uh, hi, Maria. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It's super to be here. So an impact investment hedge fund is, is uh, quite simply a, a hedge fund that invests in publicly listed securities or the uh, publicly listed companies and shorts those companies whose products and services do demonstrable harm to the world. And, and generally, those are made up of uh, environmental damages, human health and wellness damages, uh, as well as sort of broader social inequality. You know, conversely, we're very proud to go long companies whose products and services help to solve many of those problems, either as regards the environment, human health and wellness, and broader social equality and mobility. We think the implications are that as a for public markets, that this really shines a torch on the products and services which companies sell and, and gets people to think about the effect that these have on broader stakeholders. And we think that's something which asset owners and, and capital allocators and, and market participants in the listed space should be doing much more often. And so it's our hope is as we get bigger and, and perhaps more successful that other people emulate what we're doing. 
Alex, while impact is not necessarily your main mandate, CAFE does take into consideration ESG while investing. Can you tell us more about how you view investing in impactful businesses? Happily. In many ways, I'm a closet impact investor at my firm, but our firm does care a lot about, one, the businesses we select, and two, the impact they have, both positive and managing the negative impacts as well. In my book, Out Innovate, which you mentioned, I talk about businesses that are multi-mission athletes, essentially businesses that are taking many strategies towards one objective, building a great and impactful business, and where the operational outcomes of the business are tied to the impact of the business. And that's really the lens with which I invest. And how I thought about investing in companies like Chime Bank, which is a free digital bank for the underbanked in the US, or Sidecar, which is a radically different way of thinking about healthcare in the US that aligns incentives and is about 40% cheaper than alternatives, or companies like Zen Business, which really allow entrepreneurs anywhere to start their business and run their business at a much lower cost. And so that's really the philosophy with which I think about the business, where the operational outcomes tie to the impact. But as a firm, we've also layered on questions of ESG. A lot of our companies are reporting on on the impact metrics, but also thinking about what are the ways they can also improve as an organization through, you know, for instance, their impact on the environment, limiting travel, those kind of things, but also driving diversity is part of it. And so that's really the lens. I think as a VC, we have the opportunity to select businesses that if successful, where their operational outcomes tied to impact. And as they scale, those will scale as well, but also managing some of the negative downsides that invariably exist in every business to, to, to mitigate that. That's the lens that we take internally. Tanya, any other trends you see emerging in the market? Thanks, Maria. There is tremendous momentum around climate. With over two-thirds of the world's GDP now covered by net zero targets, over 1,500 corporations making net zero pledges, That includes many asset owners and asset managers who've made similar commitments. This is just such a, such a top of mind uh, focus area for so many. And as we are counting down the days to COP26 in November, we further expect there will be additional and increasingly aspirational global commitments made. Now, from an investment perspective, this creates a great deal of opportunity. Because the effort, the cost, and the complexity of achieving these pledges is quite significant. So we need a lot of innovation in the form of new technology, new types of companies, things that we haven't even thought about yet in order for these innovations to be scaled. And this, as I said, presents such a great opportunity for private equity and venture capital investors, in particular those who are very climate-focused. And we are seeing, in particular, uh, activity in private equity uh, as our clients are looking to uh, and working to create a very comprehensive approach. But in addition to climate, there's also a lot of urgency and momentum around market-based opportunities to address social and economic inequality and to make sure that there is a just transition, which also has significant implications for individuals and communities. Just the last trend I wanted to mention that we think is really important is one around collaboration, as we've seen a great willingness for firms to collaborate around impact investing and ESG. These are areas that are rapidly evolving with many areas of common interest, and we're playing an active role to move the industry forward in conjunction with our clients. By working together, we can get further faster. David, an interesting analogy comes from Sir Ronald Cohen. 
He likened the emergence of impact investing to the emergence of tech investing and venture capital. The development of VC was a result of investors accepting a new risk-return paradigm. With impact investing, he adds an impact dimension to the equation, which is viewed as a way of boosting return potential while also hedging against downside risk. With your experience at Generation and now Atlas, you've been at the forefront of this movement. Can you please share your thoughts on how the industry has developed? Yeah, certainly. So, so I think there's a there's sort of a couple of things to say. I I I do believe that actually, you know, one of the prime drivers for those who are approaching this from a pure financial background is the idea of risk um, and, and mitigating risk. And you know, ultimately, Maria, it sort of comes down to common sense. Any company selling products, using that to generate profits that they return to their shareholders, uh, is dependent on some sort of license to operate, right? And if that license to operate is is dependent on public assent or you know the assent of, of elected political authorities uh, or indeed of, of kind of public opinion. It generally makes sense if the products or services which are being sold uh, do something good. Uh, you know that's the way in which you're likely to retain your license to operate over a long period of time, either through direct regulatory support or indeed through public opinion, which manifests itself in, in financial terms, in terms of market share and, 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 and ultimately in terms of revenues. And so we think that approach around, around risk management is something which is, which is still valid. And, and so you know, if I'm thinking about sort of being a steward of other people's capital and, and indeed my own capital for a long period of time, there is just a sort of a common sense which tells me that I should be trying to invest in those companies that actually will have a license to operate for a long period of time because they're doing something which is uh, which is useful um, uh, for for want of a better word. I think where where people have started to take things further is that actually in the past few years you have seen that particular sort of technology buckets uh, and in particular around green energy that those have actually become significantly more price competitive. Uh, and so, you know, on top of this issue of, 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 of kind of pollution and damage to the environment, which people have become much more aware of as the world has just become much more transparent, you're also sort of seeing a commercial snowballing uh, around lowering lower cost of ownership. And that's, you know, from everything from, from solar panels down to electric vehicles in the future uh, around hydrogen. Uh, which makes large parts of the sort of the economic value chain of green investing or impact investing much more interesting commercially. And I think it's that fusion of the two, that sort of that license to operate through public opinion and and, and regulatory possibilities, uh, as well as the pure economics of, of many of the sectors that we're interested in becoming more interesting, which is having an effect uh, perhaps more rapidly than, than people would have thought. Alex, this emergence of a new model makes me think of your book. In Out Innovate, you explore how you think investors can get comfortable with new frameworks and approaches that are not necessarily the Silicon Valley model. How do you see this applying to impact investors? First, some context. In my day job, investing in startups outside Silicon Valley and around the world and and also in my work teaching entrepreneurs many of which are going to move back home or move somewhere to build a business I was getting really frustrated that everything we knew or at least we thought we knew about startup best practice was rooted 
in a particular time and place, Silicon Valley and today, and for a very particular type of asset light software-based startup that wants to grow extraordinarily fast. And yet around the world, the best entrepreneurs are building a tougher ecosystems with less capital, with less depth of train, been there, done that startup human capital, or more macroeconomic shocks or what have you. And that, that's what led me to write the book and, and really explore this emerging set of best practices. I interviewed about 200 entrepreneurs, many building some of the most successful businesses around the world, but also some of the ones that I believe are also the most impactful, targeting mass market problems, fulfilling and creating industries in healthcare, financial services, what have you, and building their local ecosystems at the same time. And so I actually think there's quite a lot of overlap between the work I was looking at on these emerging set of startup entrepreneurs from around the world and the growth of the impact industry. And what they were doing was, one, building different types of businesses. And I alluded to this earlier with this question of these multi-mission athletes, but they are creators of industries, often targeting the mass market and often doing so in these higher impact industries. I'll give you one data point. In Silicon Valley, less than 20% of startups um, and unicorns are in industries like financial services, healthcare, anything in the environment, education, et cetera. In many emerging startup ecosystems, the numbers are flipped over 70% on those same criteria in Sub-Saharan Africa, for instance. So one, they're building different types of products and companies. Second is they're building the companies differently. One of the strategies that they're using is instead of taking this blitzscaling, unicorn chasing model, they're building on sustainable foundations. Doesn't mean they're not growing. They're still trying to grow very, very quickly, but they're doing it without burning at excess capital, without having a business model that requires venture capital to uh, acquire users unprofitably. Um, and when needed, they're taking a little bit of a longer timeline. And the third, the methods with which they scale, leverage being multi-market from the get-go, leverage distributed teams, and give a lot of vectors for impact as part of the strategy they build. So those are just a couple samplings of areas that I, that I see entrepreneurship shifting to. And I think these are strategies that impact businesses are thinking very deeply about and can be very helpful tools to do this. And, and by the way, just one reflection, we've talked a little bit about trends in the industry. And to your last question about Sir Ronald Cohen, who's one of the people actually that got me into the world of impact. My first job out of my MBA was with Bridges Ventures, a fund that he had been a part of and started. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are going to continue accelerating this movement around the demographic shifts of wealth and becoming a priority for investors, a uh, shift in how business is defined, like what the roundtable, the business roundtable last, did last year around saying, hey, look, the purpose of the corporation is not just profits, a bunch of these other things. Um, and frankly, I think the thing that's getting me most excited is that a lot of these high impact businesses are scaling and demonstrating that they are the ones that are valued most by investors, by customers, et cetera. Some of the ones that I alluded to earlier, but the biggest fintech uh, digital bank in the world uh, is in Brazil. The biggest edtech company in the world came from India. These are really targeting the mass market and they are becoming the global winners in, in some of these spaces. And so I think that's one of the reasons that the space is going to continue growing is because it's also demonstrating you can do both. You can build highly impactful businesses that also become really great businesses. There is no doubt that impactful, environmentally focused businesses are benefiting from tailwinds such as an increase in green policy measures. What are some investment opportunities you see emerging in the next five years? We we think that there is a you know there's, there's a plethora of things which are which are emerging, and so you know as I was sort of saying before, cost dynamics in large parts of sort of the green value chain, you know that is only beginning to have a pretty transformational effect on very very large markets, um, and so you know we we think that there will be 
continue to be um, opportunities in uh, renewable energy, uh, obviously you know, solar, wind, uh, increasingly offshore wind, but also in, in perhaps uh, you know less well-known technologies like, for example, geothermal, uh, which is a fantastic provider of, of baseload power. We are also actually quite excited around a lot of things that are um, a little bit less glamorous, but nonetheless, uh, you know, have significant impact on CO2 emissions at the system level. So we sort of think about things in the industrial space, like, for example, uh, railways, like, for example, building efficiency, insulation materials, um, lighting systems, uh, a lot of these things that are sort of based on saving and avoided energy usage and energy wastage um, are pretty interesting to us. Um, you know, and then finally, we see a number of sort of digital technologies um, that help to make things more efficient, you know, be that online supermarket, for example, which, which um, you know, using algorithms end up wasting much less food uh, than the traditional supermarket model or um, online ticketing platforms devoted just to the railway industry to get people out of cars and into trains uh, in, a, in, in much greater numbers than we've ever seen before. You know, all of those things are sort of thematic areas around avoided CO2 emissions, which we think are actually just as important as, as green energy per se. So, so we're excited about that. And then clearly also, you know, within uh, human health and wellness, you know, sort of a plethora of models offering people faster diagnostics, uh, more targeted treatments to previously very difficult to treat diseases many things around preventative medicine and preventative behaviors, which we uh, are quite excited about. So we think that there is, um, there's a very fertile area for us to mine over the, over the next five, 10, 15 years, which is, which is really exciting for us. I believe that in many cases, it's easy to say in the investing world uh, that the private market can solve it, but it ignores the critical role of government ecosystem builders and regulation in creating a catalyst to support this budding industry. And I'll give three quick examples. One on the regulatory front, a model that I think can become very powerful when creating new industries are sandbox environments. So we've seen this succeed in the fintech world with experiments in the UK, uh, but also in Southeast Asia like Singapore, where uh, the regulatory body sets up an environment where you could try a different type of model with a different type of customer base in a constrained way where we see what happens, we test it, and it isn't based on what regulations might have existed before. It's actually tested in partnership with the regulator. And then at the end of a time period within a constrained amount of customers or size of product, you make a decision on whether or not to go forward. And this really allows more experimentation in a way that is in partnership with rather than in opposition to the regulator. The second are programmatic processes that can be built. One thing that I'm really excited about is Adar in India, which is universal ID, on top of which a lot of technologies have built something called the stack and the India stack, which is a bunch of APIs that allow anyone tied with the ID to have a basic bank account, and a number of other things. And on top of that, that's kind of an ecosystem upon which you can support a number of new apps and new models that we so far have not imagined. And the third, which is more of an ecosystem builder lens, is thinking about what I call older siblings. Um, I think in many startup ecosystems, what really catalyzes it is having a couple companies scaling to uh, become very, very large. And in so doing, training the next generation of founders, uh, giving angel investors 
some capital through the exit of, of the first company and that kind of starting the flywheel. And so one of the recommendations I would make in the impact investing world is making sure that it's not just about having the pipeline at the beginning, but it's making sure the middle-sized companies that are starting to break out really have the support they need to scale and become massive. Because that'll be one of the ways that we're going to, one, have role models, two, have folks that are trained in the space, et cetera, that will help kind of create this perpetual flywheel. And so those are three thoughts that I would suggest to try to continue building the ecosystem and where regulators and government can play an important role. So, so to add that, you know, the regulatory landscape is evolving very quickly. I mean, we are seeing this, the, the regulatory landscape change uh, quite significantly in Europe, and that is having uh, an impact on funds and fund managers uh, around the world. Um, we're expecting further changes to the regulatory landscape in the U.S. and Canada. And a lot of this regulation is focused on transparency. Um, which is going to help, you know, bring in more investors, uh, which is ultimately a good thing. But just as influential as the regulatory landscape, we see the direction that's being set by investors is so critically influential on what happens in the, in the impact investing space. In particular, as these investors are evolving their own investment strategies around issues like climate, uh, as we spoke about a moment ago, and then this has a ripple effect on fund managers. Also just wanted to pick up on a point that was made earlier um, about the link between impact and value creation. And we see this as being uh, a really big uh, focus area and also another big catalyst for the movement of more capital into the impact investing space. It's very clear that investors do not need to make a trade-off between impact and returns. In fact, there's um, a tremendous opportunity for outsized performance. Do you see impact investing as becoming the new normal? I absolutely uh, do see impact as becoming a part of the new normal. And this is based on the demand and activity that we're seeing both from GPs and LPs and the diversity of impact investment approaches that are being taken by the large GPs. And this will serve to attract a wide range of investors. The opportunity here is massive. Echoing uh, Tanya, I also believe that impact investing is here to stay. However, I actually think we need a broader vocabulary. I think impact investing is a very broad word that describes a lot of different approaches, much like private equity is often associated with LBO private equity. But in fact, the word private equity also includes things like venture capital, which I practice, and uh, and a variety of other things. I, I believe you know there's everything from foundations that, that use... Uh, uh, grant-making tools in partnership with the private sector, all the way to things like generation investment management and the work that uh, Dave is doing with his, his new fund as well. And, and then, you know, some of the work that I've done uh, at Cathay and previously at Omidyar Network. And I think within that spectrum, I think that what we'll see going forward is also a greater vocabulary to describe some of the different things that are happening and, and how you might think of it. Because I actually think that in some ways and in some practice of impact investing, there is, in fact, no trade-off between returns and an impact. But I actually think like when taken as a whole and some of the other approaches that exist, the reality is not totally cut and dry on, on how it works. And in some cases, business and the business world can be a really tremendous tool to have social impact using business models, but it is not a panacea for everything. And, and so I, I suspect we'll also see greater ways to think about what are some of these levers we can pull? What are some of the strategies and impacts and where they are appropriate, where they're not, et cetera. But I, I also share the optimism to believe that as a sector, and as a movement to, to push towards 
both using business in a more productive way to doing what it should do of, of also being part of the ecosystem and, 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 and creating an ecosystem, but also where, where it's really appropriate to solve direct problems in ways that historically has not been. And I, so I, I'm, I'm greatly excited about that, but the plethora of ways um, that will continue to manifest itself. So, so ultimately, impact investing is not something which should be restricted to any one particular asset class. Uh, you know, we think that, um, you know, it should not certainly not necessarily just be the preserve of venture capital and private equity. Uh, you know, we are striking out in this in the in the hedge fund space, the, the listed long short space. Um, but we think that, uh, you know, long only equities, credit, uh, everything down to, to money market, short duration money market funds should have incorporate an element of impact analysis. You know, there, there's no reason why I couldn't run a money markets fund, you know, with sort of 30 year commercial paper restricting myself to investing in those companies that are doing something which is positively impactful uh, and avoiding those companies which are which are negatively impactful. Uh, so we think this is actually something which becomes uh, pervasive across the, the whole of the portfolio, um, basically, and, and, and should be. And we think that will, that, that's sort of good for the planet and good for the world. Thank you for this great conversation. Always a pleasure to speak to all of you and hoping we can do this again very soon. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Maria. Thank you very much for having us and really appreciate you doing this podcast. Thanks for listening to Sustainability Leaders. This podcast is presented by BMO Financial Group. To access all the resources we discussed in today's episode and to see our other podcasts, visit us at bmo.com forward slash sustainability leaders. You can listen and subscribe free to our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider, and we'll greatly appreciate a rating and review and any feedback that you might have. Our show and resources are produced with support from BMO's marketing team and Puddle Creative. Until next time, I'm Michael Torrance. Have a great week. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This is not intended to serve as a complete analysis of every material fact regarding any company, industry, strategy, or security. This presentation may contain forward-looking statements. Investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on such statements as actual results could vary. This presentation is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice, and is not intended as an endorsement of any specific investment product or service. Individual investors should consult with an investment, tax, and or legal professional about their personal situation. Past performance is not indicative of future results.